The following Knowledge at Warden podcast is brought to you by Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their financial goals. Visit Vanguard.com. During the recent 2007 Wharton Economic Summit, Knowledge at Wharton recorded nine podcasts with speakers and panelists at the event, whose theme was Next Moves in a Global Economy. The interviews are with Jeffrey R. Lurie, owner of the Philadelphia Eagles Football Club, Shelley L. Archambault, CEO of Metricstream, Ramkrishan Rami Hinduja, Chairman of HTMT Global Solutions, together with Sashi P. Reddy, CEO of AppLabs Technologies, Mark Ute, Managing Director of Clarion Capital Partners, Kenneth Shropshire, Director of the Wharton Sports Business Initiative, Shiv V. Kempka, Vice Chairman, Sun Group, Clark Callender, Managing Director of Savian, Amy Arrett, CEO of Olivia, and William L. Mack, Senior Principal, Apollo Real Estate Advisors. Our next guest is uh, Shelley Archambault, uh, CEO of Metricstream. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, you're quite welcome. Happy to be here. Uh, well, uh, I understand you're going to be speaking on a panel about work-life balance. And, and I have a very basic question about that. I think everybody agrees that life and work should be in balance. The only question is, how do you do it? Yeah. I actually think that work-life balance, in terms of a term, is a misnomer. Okay. Because I don't think you can live a life where you are actually balanced between work and family, or call it non-work, all the time. I just don't think you can. Um, I like to think of it more as work-life integration. So will there be times when, indeed, there are more hours in terms of focused on work than there are family? And there will be times when you need to devote more on the family side? The answer is yes. So it's not always a balance. I think it's more fluid. Uh, The good news is, with the kinds of technologies we have today, it's a whole lot easier to integrate that than it was, say, 20 years ago when I was getting started in business and raising a family. Uh, But now, between Blackberries, you know, my son, his high school team actually played in the state championship. Well, on the route to the state championship um, path, they played games in all the, right, for the regular season, postseason, et cetera. And whenever I was in town, I made every single game. Now, was I sitting in the stands every minute of every play? I wasn't. I was out in the parking lot on a phone call. I was doing email on my BlackBerry. I was, but I was able to integrate the two so I could get done what I needed to get done, but still be there to support him. So the tools today actually make it possible to be, quote, working, right, wherever you need to be at the time so that it's much easier to integrate the two than it was before. We ran a story in Knowledge at Wharton recently where uh, we talked about Google and the kind of perks that that people who work there have. Uh, And as part of that uh, story, uh, one of the Wharton faculty members made a very interesting observation. She's basically said that there are two kinds of people. There are those who are the integrators, and, and that would be you know the, what, what you just described. And then there are the segmenters. And the segmenters are those who believe that uh, work and you know, f- family and non-work shouldn't really mix. Uh, in, in, in your experience, is there uh, any way of thinking about uh, whether it's more productive to be an integrator or to be a segmenter? Hmm. I would say... It- I don't think there's which is more productive. It's driven more by what type of person you are, what your personality is, um, and how it's easiest for you to function. 
So I don't think it would be fair to me to say, you know, integration has absolutely worked for me, and therefore I believe that segmentation wouldn't work. Um, that's not the case. But for me and for my lifestyle uh, and for the kind of job I have and the personality that I have, integration is a much better fit for what I need to do. In running a software company where we have offices internationally, it's impossible for me to actually segment because my offices, say, in India are 12 and a half hours ahead right, of me in California so that there's no way that working hours mm. ever overlap. Right right, right, right. So therefore, if I were to segment, I don't know how I'd ever get home to my family <laughs> if, <laughs> if I had to keep it completely separate. Um, so integration works. But if I had a role that didn't require you know, that kind of global time frame management, et cetera, then it might be easier. Can you explain a little bit with some examples about how integration works in your own case? Oh, uh, certainly. I gave the, the one example in terms of basketball. I would say the other is I try hard on nights where I don't have dinner evening engagements to actually be home about 7, which is when we try to eat. That doesn't mean that I'm actually finished working. All right, so sometimes home, you know, kind of block out the time. You could call it segment. I segment that time. I try to take phone calls during dinner, you know, all, all those kinds of things. But we have dinner together. And then if I have things to do, I'll go to the office and I'll get things done. When I say the office, office in the home. Uh, it's rare that I actually have to go back to the office for anything as a result of technology and things we talked about before. Um, so that's something that I've always tried to keep pretty sacred in terms of dinner when I don't have here as a business commitment. I'd say the, another example in terms of the integration would be my workout. You know, there are a couple things that are sacred. So dinner, my workout. So when I'm not injured, I'm sitting here with a broken ankle that you can't see. Uh, when I'm not injured, I actually work out four days a week. And to me, that's a key part of my life and another part where I'm going to be working out. So I get up very early to do that so I can work out before I go to work. Um, and there are days when I'm on you know, the Stairmaster or the treadmill, and I absolutely have my Bluetooth in my ear, <laughs> and I'm listening in <laughs> on a call, so I've done that. Um, so that's how I've integrated. But I have absolutely picked things that are important, and I think that's part of the challenge when you're trying to get work-life balance is pick what's really important and then figure out how to mesh everything around it, and you typically can. Right. You know, it's, it's very interesting. You, you've said a couple of times that uh, technology actually enables you to, you know, to balance the two. Uh, I wonder if the case could also be made that it's technology that, that pushes work into a lot more areas of, of your life and your time than it might have in the absence of technology. I mean, the BlackBerry is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. You know, before the Blackberries came along, if you were at a ball game, you would be attentive to the ball game. Uh, uh, and now you find people sitting at a ball game, but uh, I've heard the phrase partially, partial continuous attention <laughs> <laughs> being used to describe that state of mind. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, uh, do, do you think there's a, you know, a problem there? I don't think it's a problem for me. Uh, do I think that there may be folks who have challenges with, with managing that? Maybe. Um, but I don't see it as a problem because I honestly feel that I, I made more basketball games or your example on the, the ball game, make more ball games than you would if you couldn't do that because you have to get done whatever it is that you're getting done. So if that means two out of the four you wouldn't make because you'd have to stay in the office and finish up and, and get it done. So I, like I said, I think it's a matter of picking, you know, where your priorities are and then figuring out how to make it happen. You know, another good example, uh, as part of my career, I've moved around quite a bit. 
And one job um, that I had, and actually for Metric Stream, it was based in California. My family was in Dallas. I commuted for three years uh, from Dallas to uh, Metric Stream, which is based in um, California. Well, in doing that, I had two children at home, one who's in high school and one who's in junior high. And to make that work, first, I have a fabulous husband. Uh, but second is they knew that they could call me on my cell phone anytime. Any, I had no rule, anytime. And when I was commuting, the people that I worked with knew that I would answer the phone. Now, I wouldn't also always stay on the phone. Answer the phone, I'd say, Keaton, is this, I'm in a meeting, is this critical, or can I call you back? And if it was critical, I'd say, okay, and I'd step out. Um, I needed to do that because I needed them to feel that even though I wasn't present, I was always available to them. Um, and that way, it worked on my family life, and it worked, um, if you will, on my work life. So that... Again, the integration piece is what worked. And the board of directors didn't fire me. <laughs> I was still able to get the job done. Um, so that I think you can do it. You just kind of set the boundaries. You put forward what's important. And as long as you're delivering results, you can absolutely integrate your work and your, and your life balance. Yeah. Sp- speaking about boards of directors, do you, do you see greater recognition on the part of companies that... You know, if this is a, a, a new world and, and, and people need to think differently about how uh, home life and work life are balanced. Uh, is, is, uh, do you see a greater recognition on the uh, on, say, HR department's part, on the part of HR departments uh, on, on these issues? Yeah, it comes, what really drives it, frankly, is not necessarily the altruism of um, we need to provide all of these things as much as it is. Everyone wants productive employees who are happy at work, and therefore you're productive at work, um, and to retain them. And to do that, you need to afford and enable people to actually have their lives. And so, therefore, yes, you absolutely see, whether it's HR departments or it's management, et cetera, things that are available. And when they're not, it's kind of a sign that the company probably just doesn't care that much. Um, but in general, to, in this day and time, to recruit and retain talented people, you need to give them flexibility um, to be able to balance. And when they do that, they're typically more productive at work. So overall, the company wins and the shareholders win. Uh, I wonder if you could speak to uh, the role of mentors in, in, in uh, balancing work and family life. Hmm. I think mentors are extremely helpful in general. So I know you're asking me in terms of specifically on work-life balance. Uh, but in general, let me just put a plug in. Um, one of the things that I strongly believe in is that you should have as many mentors as you possibly can. Sure. Um, but here's the caveat. A lot of people, when you approach them and ask them if, if they will be your mentor, will actually shy away. And they'll shy away because they hear mentor, commitment, time. And what do people have the least amount of? free time, right, to do things. So don't tell them. Just adopt them. I spent my whole career adopting mentors. And what I mean by adopting mentors is I would come up to you and say, McCool, I have a question. Um, I notice that you have a lot of experience in such and such, and here's a problem that I'm dealing with. Might you be able to give me some advice? Well, most people, if you ask them for advice in an area in which they are specialized or enjoy focus, are happy to share with you their thoughts and ideas. You take the advice. 
You then let them know that you took the advice and what happened. Now they feel really good because, wow, they really helped somebody out. And most people want to be able to help others. They just don't always have the time. I don't ever tell him he's a mentor, but you know what? Every few months, once a quarter or whatever, I might reach out and say, hey, I was doing such and such. And you know what? He's going to answer my call or answer my email because he knows that by spending time with me, it actually turns into something. If I asked him for advice the first time and he never heard from me again, and then I reach out to him six months later, he's... All right, he might be nice and answer the second time, but you know what? He's not going to continue to do that because there's nothing that he's getting out of it. It needs to be a two-way street when you're creating a mentor-mentee relationship. So adopt them. There are people who have phenomenal backgrounds experience, whether it's your discipline or your career or, as you say, work-life balance. You see people who's like, boy, they really seem to be able to manage. Just ask them for ideas. Take them and tell them what you've done and how it's impacted you. Um, so I've, over my course of my career, I've had hundreds of mentors, and it's made a huge difference uh, because, frankly, we all make a lot of mistakes because we haven't been there, done that before. But there's millions of people who have. <laughs> so you might as well reach out and try to tap that knowledge so you don't have to make as many as a- on average. So you take the baby boom generation, which many of us are a part of, um, and there was a traditional model of growing up and work integration, work family balance, however you want to call it. There was the, the father who went to work, the mother who stayed home and raised the kids. So now you have single parent households, you have working mothers, much more prevalent. What is the next generation of fathers and mothers taking away from this this model of work-life integration? And how do you think they're going to, you know, 10, 20 years from now, are you going to see a similar sort of transition or do you are you going to see maybe coming back to the traditional model? How do you see that playing out? Hmm, interesting. Well, let me tell you what I, what I hope, um, and then we can see in terms of how things actually work out. What I hope is that people evolve with their families. So when I say families, now I'm talking kind of a, a mother, father, children. So when you talk about that need, um, I'm assuming it's, you're talking about a family unit like that. Well, I'm hoping in that kind of a family unit that people see that there are many options available to them um, and therefore choose the one that works for them. Um, so, for instance... Mine is very atypical. My husband and I both worked um, initially, but as soon as our youngest started school, you know, elementary, my husband started staying home. So we ended up with kind of the reverse on what the model was in terms of earlier, where he was home and and I was the one working. Um, But, you know, prior to that, we actually had a nanny to help us with the kids, now, I want to, let me make, can I just change the subject a little bit or add a point? One, here's a point that's just so important, people, especially as you're young, getting married, and if you plan to have children, please think about your finances from the standpoint of paying for help. My biggest advice to people when they say, how do you do it, is you get help. And when I say get help, you get help to do those things that aren't important to you. Um, And what I mean by that is clean your house, mow the lawn. I mean, whatever takes time where you don't feel like it's adding value, where you really want to add value, you buy that. And then people say, well, how do you afford it? You're just starting out. Your incomes aren't all that high, et cetera. My answer to that is you put it in the budget. When my husband and I first got married, I was now, um, heck, I had children right away. So we had our first child. Uh, when I, uh, exactly a year and a month after I graduated from Wharton, okay? So, no, I didn't have 10 years of experience, and I wasn't earning hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and the whole bit, but you know what? We had a nanny. We had a nanny because when we got married, I said, I want to have kids. We plan to work. I want a nanny. 
We paid more for childcare than we did for our home, you know, in terms of what now. That's what we planned on. We could have bought bigger house, we put about a house in a nicer area, we could have done all of those things, but then I wouldn't have had money to actually pay for the help that I felt I needed for both the kids as well as for me and my husband to do what we wanted to do. So we planned it up front. Now, did that take a little coaching from my husband? A little bit. <laughs> but I painted the picture and showed him if we didn't do it, here's what it means. Um, and bottom line, he'd tell you it was the best thing we ever did in terms of getting us started. So can you do it? Absolutely. But it comes down to trade-offs. Um, and that's what most of the work-life balance issue, most of the issue in terms of what should the family look like, I don't really think it's prescribed that this is what works ideal, uh, meaning I don't think that it has to be one parent is home. I don't think it has to be that both parents have to work and you have to have childcare. I don't think that it has, I don't think there is a prescription, but I do think whatever model you pick, just plan for it so that you have the disposable dollars to be able to supplement and get help and assistance where you need it to be able to make it work. You can do, I did it, you can absolutely do it. Great. Uh, I think we've uh, uh, come to uh, uh, the, the end of the questions we had. Is there anything that we haven't asked that you, you'd like to add? Hmm. Well, what I probably do is just reiterate some of the key messages that I, that I gave, if, if that's okay. In sure. Term, you know, when people ask me, how do you do it? Right? and how to make this work. One first thing I tell them is the whole concept of supermom, and I'm going to talk to the women, but men, I'm talking to you too, so just wait a minute. The whole concept of supermom, where you can be excellent at everything all the time, does not exist, period. So don't stress over it. You know, the biggest issue is we put all this guilt on ourselves in terms of, I should be able to do this. Other people are doing this. They're not. <laughs> they're just not. It's kind of like the duck in the pond. You see a duck on a pond, and they just look like they're gliding along, and underneath that water, their legs are moving furiously, right? That's exactly what's happening for most people in their lives as they're raising kids. Under the covers, we're all working like hell, and that, and that happens. From a men's standpoint, right, also realize that's the case. This is hard stuff. So you've got to make sure you're a partnership. It's work with my husband and I because we have a partnership. If you have a partnership and you really talk about where's the time and where's the effort, et cetera, it can absolutely work for you. Get help and get mentors. So anyway, those are the points I'd make. That's great. Thanks so much for joining us today. You're quite welcome. I enjoyed it. For more information, please visit our website at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.